Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. A few programs ago, Dr. Jennings made the case that the Old Testament sanctuary in the desert, that ornate house of worship that God instructed Moses and the children of Israel to construct, was more than a place to commune with God. It was a theater, a stage, upon which many lessons were taught using altars, sacrifices, and ceremonies. Everything pointed to God's plan to overcome evil with good. Today, we're going to dig a little deeper into that concept as Dr. Jennings joins us via Skype to look at some of the symbols God used to teach important lessons to the worshipers. Dr. Jennings, where should we begin? Well, we have to begin understanding the difference between metaphor symbol mm. and reality. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament sacrificial system, there wasn't one element in that system that was literal. It was all object lesson, metaphor, or symbol pointing to a larger reality. The key to growth in spiritual health is to embrace the reality to which the symbol is pointing. If metaphor is not directly tied to some reality, it's no longer metaphor. It becomes fantasy. Unfortunately, much of the study in these types of things, people never tie it to the reality and they stay stuck in the symbols. Einstein's famous equation, E equals MC squared. Mm -hmm. Well, those are symbols, E equals sign MC, the number two, they're all symbols. If we assign false meanings to them, oh, E equals eternal life, E, eternal life equals taking mass, M, at church twice a week. <laughs> okay. Using the symbols, but if we apply the wrong meaning to them, we don't understand what's truly being taught. We get confused. Yes. So, you know, the Einstein was energy equals mass times the speed of light squared is the true meaning of that equation. Right. So in the Old Testament, none of that stuff was literal, number one. It all had to be interpreted. And one of the obvious ones that most people do get is the lamb or the sacrificial animal was a symbol of Jesus. Yeah. Okay, That's the one everybody sees. But much of the other symbolism is missed. And sadly, many people, many Christians I've talked to, actually think salvation in Old Testament times was achieved through animal sacrifice. It was not. It was simply a theatrical representation of faith in Christ, and they were still saved through Jesus in the same way we are. And so in the Old Testament times, the uh, God would actually speak to them in Hosea 6.6, 6, I want your constant love, not your animal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I would rather have my people know me than burn offerings to me. It, it was never a requirement for salvation. Many people think if you didn't do the, the, the sacrifices at the temple, you couldn't be saved. This is simply not the case of the Old Testament. Uh, all the people prior to Abraham, there wasn't a temple prior to Moses. There was no sanctuary prior to Moses. And then you have people like Nebuchadnezzar, Naaman, the Shunammite widow, and other people that were never part of Israel, the three magi that come to give gifts to Christ. These are not part of Israel, and they're not offering sacrifice. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, during the 70 years captivity, they're not offering sacrifice at temple. They're still being saved. This was not required for salvation, but it was required to be part of the acting troupe. Mm. If you want to go on stage, you have to follow the script and act in the play. Israel were actors to be educators and teachers to theatrically carry out and educate people the problem of sin and God's solution for it, which was very powerfully acted out in this theater or play called the Sanctuary Service. 
Now, when did we make that switch, Dr. Jennings? You told us on the program before that the people, uh, the children of Israel in the sanctuary in the desert, they understood what was going on. How did we switch over to putting all these meanings and things and saying, if we don't sacrifice, we're not going to be saved? Where'd that come from? I think some of the people understood. Probably the vast majority didn't understand. Oh, really? They were children. They were children, and they were to be taught, and you will find much teaching going on as, as the various priests and prophets of God were educating and teaching them, but they're like children at a sandbox in their Sunday school or Sabbath school class in which the teachers are trying to teach the larger realities of God's plan of salvation and, uh, and, our, and our position in it. And so everything was symbolically arranged to teach a larger reality. The tabernacle was at the center of the camp of Israel, and the tabernacle is the place that they would come into oneness with God. And the children of Israel camped around the tabernacle with three tribes on each of the four sides with the Levites in between. And the whole process was we are away from God and there's a process to bring us into union or at one with God. And all of it is acted out to teach that. The camps around the outside represent the people from the four corners of the earth, every nation, tribe, kindred, and people. Remember, Abraham is the father of many nations. And so he is the father of all those who have faith. The Levites are the priesthood of believers, and they stand between the world and unity with God. And so we as priesthood of believers go out from the sanctuary, the temple, the relation with God, and witness to the world, bringing people from the four corners of the world back into unity with God. So just the layout of the camp was educational teaching things about God and God's plan of salvation. Now, Moses represents Christ in his pre-incarnate form before coming to earth and being born as a baby. Moses spoke to God face to face at the bush and then went and confronted the ruler holding the people in slavery and overthrew the, the, the power of that ruler and set the people free. Well, Jesus was in heaven planning the plan of salvation with the Father, leaves heaven, comes to confront the prince of this world, overthrows his power, and sets us free from sin. So Moses represents Christ in his pre-incarnate state. The lamb represents Christ during his human journey here on earth, and the high priest represents Christ after his ascension into heaven. We have a great high priest who's gone into the heavens before, as it says in in Hebrews. Therefore, we have Christ represented in those three places. Is this making sense? It does. It is. It is. I'm looking at a chart here, and I can just sort of picture the children of Israel doing these things and learning these lessons as we go. What comes next? So the bronze altar is the starting point in salvation. Bible symbolism, this was, the bronze altar was made out of an acacia tree, which is a porous wood covered in bronze, and bronze is an impure metal. Impure meaning it's not one pure, it's two substances mixed like tin and something else to make bronze. And so that's a representation of our mixed heart, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit working to woo us, but our carnal natures, we are not purified yet. And so that's the bronze altar, the unconverted heart that needs to be purified. That's the starting point in salvation. And the horns of the altar represents our rebellious traits of character and defects of character that rebel against the Lord. The fat removed from the inner organs of the animal represents um, the carnal nature that is hidden within us. And this is uh, what Christ was victorious over when he came into Gethsemane and agonized. And this is why in the Old Testament you always read that the burning of the fat was a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, not because he liked the smell of fat, but within the theater it pleases the Lord to burn out selfishness out of our inner being and purify us. Mm-hmm. 
the fire in the altar represents the Holy Spirit uh, working in our hearts before conversion and then transforming and burning out the, the old bad habits after conversion. The laver, it represents the washing of the Holy Spirit. It was um, built from the mirrors that they brought out of Egypt with them. And the mirrors, of course, represent the word of God or the law of God. And the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to reveal to us the places we need to be washed up and cleaned. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse us and or to um, purify us. And only the priests and high priest washed in the laver. The non-priests did not use the laver. So the general sinner coming to sacrifice would not because they're not being renewed. They're representing the unconverted coming to conversion. It's only when you're a priesthood of believers that you are washed by the Holy Spirit and they would wash the priest and high priest always in the labor before they did any ministry, indicating that we are to be cleansed by the Holy Spirit to equip us and prepare us to minister for the Lord. We enter the tabernacle. What do we see? The daily priest wore white robes. Those white robes represent the new heart and right spirit or the character of Christ, which is given to us as a gift that we wear in our purity. And the church is, you know, in her pure linen or white linen. As you enter into the holy place, the holy place was covered in gold. It was a wood covered in gold and everything in there was gold. And the gold represents the perfection of Christ-like character. And the holy place represents the church, where the courtyard and outside there represents the world and people coming inside the holy place represent the church. And what do we find in the church on the left is the lampstand. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so it represents both the written word and the word that was made flesh. And in the lampstand, there was a central stand, one central column that had six lamps attached to it. So there was a total of seven. The central lampstand out of solid gold represents the word made flesh, Jesus, the light which lightens all men. And the six is representative of, of human beings. And so the six human beings connected to Christ become seven perfection. And thus we become lights to the world as well. And the table of showbread? The table of showbread also made out of gold. And it contained on it the, the 12 loaves that were unleavened, representing Christ. And there's 12 loaves demonstrating that Christ is the bread of life, and he is sufficient for all the peoples of the world, one for each of the tribes, representing all the people groups of the world. And there was a sweet incense, an incense on top of that, which represents the sweetness and the perfection of Christ's sinless character. And every Sabbath, the daily priests would join the high priest in the most holy place, to burn the incense and eat the bread, which is symbolic of every Sabbath, we the believers are to join our high priest Jesus at church to pray the incense and commune with God and partake of the written word, the bread of life. Yeah, I see the altar of incense there. Is that what you're talking about? And then the altar of incense, the brazen altar represents the unconverted peoples of the world and the unconverted heart. The golden altar, which is in the church, represents those who've been converted, their hearts have been reborn. They have a new heart and right spirit. That's the golden altar. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. It still has little horns on it, but these horns are very small compared to the ones in the brazen altar because we have vestigial remnants of the old character that we're still working through. We're not completely purified yet, but we are being purified by Christ. The incense was burned on the golden altar representing the prayers of the people going up to God. 
And our final two minutes on that beautiful Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was made out of um, a porous wood, which was the box below it. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, covered in gold, representing the the box represents the, the hearts of sinful people who have been purified and brought into unity with Christ. The lid of the Ark, the Hilasterion, as Paul refers to it, is made out of solid gold, and the lid represents Christ. Above the lid are the angels on there, represents the sinless angelic beings, and the Shekinah represents the, the glory of the Father. All of them connecting to Christ, he is the unifying link. All things in heaven and earth are unified to God through the cross of Christ, and that's the lid. Now, inside the box, which represents the restored sinners to godliness, there were three things put there. There was the manna, Aaron rods that budded, and the law, the Ten Commandments, and they went in in an order. The first thing that went in was the manna, because that represents Jesus, the bread of heaven. We must partake of Jesus and be converted first. And when we do, we open the heart and trust. When we open the heart and trust, he writes the law, which went in second, upon our hearts and minds. And we have a new set of motives. And once he does that, we who were dead in trespass and sin come to life and bring forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness, Aaron's dead rod that budded fruits of almond. And so that's what the symbolism teaches. Oh my, my. Listener, I invite you to go to comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings has this uh, whole situation all lined up for you there. Take along a, an illustration of the sanctuary there. You can follow along. What you find is yourself. That's what you find. Your need, your salvation, they're all tied up there in the symbols of the sanctuary and the whole sanctuary service. God did a beautiful job, an excellent job of explaining to us what he's doing for us. And Dr. Jennings does an equally good job of explaining what God explained. And we appreciate that very much. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Always enjoy it, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>